Hi, everybody. This is Kathy Baker, and I am glad you tuned in to my podcast, Leading Forward. I am beginning a new series based on the book of Acts, chapters 3 through 7. And I'm going to do this one a little different from those in the past. We are going to be looking at three simple steps for studying the Bible. So I'll show you those steps, and then I will walk us through passages of Scripture, and we'll look at how to observe things in the passage and how to interpret, and then how to make application in our own lives. And to tell you the truth, that is my very favorite part, because I love for us to dig into Scripture to see how it applies to our daily living, things that affect us every day. So I'm really excited about this, and I do have handouts. If you are not getting the handouts and would like to receive one, please send me an email or comment in the uh, comment section below, and I will be glad to send those to you. So you can grab a Bible and get ready to dig into Acts chapter 3, and we're going to do verses 1 through 11 today. Well, the method that I'm going to be talking to you about is three steps. Let's look at the first one. It's observation. It's the first and most important step in how to study the Bible. As you read the Bible text, you will need to look carefully at what is said and how it is said. And so you can look at the sheet. I gave you a very descriptive sheet on observation, and it will give you some specific things to be looking for. But the key is that you will become curious about what you're reading. You're going to look at vocabulary, and you're going to look for repeated words. And then I think one of the key considerations is the WH questions. And that would be who, what, when, where, and why. And that will help you in observing the text to see uh, from your own perspective, why did the author put this in here? And what does it mean to me? And where were they going, for example? Where does it take place? What is the time frame? Well, asking these questions for understanding is going to help build a bridge between observation, which is this first step, and interpretation, which is the second step of the Bible study process. So observing is the first thing that you do. Become curious, ask questions, take verse by verse and ask questions about that verse. We're going to do that in just a minute with Acts chapter 3. So let's look at interpretation. It's often called hermeneutics. It, It is discovering the meaning of a passage, the author's main thought or idea. Now, this is is another way to look at hermeneutics, which is the science of interpretation, especially with scriptures. For many of us, reading the Bible and making sense of it can be intimidating. Can anyone really know exactly what it means and, and how it applies to us? Well, our culture is very different from the culture in biblical times, and so that can make it very hard for us to interpret it. Well, the answer to these questions are, yes, we can do it. We can learn how to apply it, and we can learn what it, it means, but it does take some digging. We need to understand that God, Uh, through the author, had a specific intention with what he was teaching his people at the time, 
that applies to all time periods and cultures. That's what's been so fascinating for me about reading scripture, that what I read that applied to the people of Corinth or the people of Rome or the people in Galatia or wherever uh, I'm reading had an application for the word that was given to them, and we have it too. It can be the very same kind of application. We know that God is outside of time, and he is eternal. So his word is outside of time and eternal as well. It's up to us to take the time to study God's word, to bridge that gap between the original intent and the current application for our lives. I want to say that again. It's up to us to bridge the gap from the original intent to a current application for our lives. So as a part of this second category, which is interpretation, uh, there are five clues called the five C's that can help us determine the author's main point. First of all, there's the context. That's looking at surrounding verses for clues about what something means. And then there are cross-references. That means looking at other verses that are often shown in the margin of our Bible that have the same or similar story. So you might look through your Bible and look in the margins. In some Bibles, it's in the center uh, column, and in others, it's on the right-hand or left-hand side. And it gives you other references in Scripture that have a similar text. And so you can read both of them to find out additional meaning. So that's cross-referencing. And the third C is culture. We want to work to understand the writer's cultural context. Well, that might be challenging for you if if you've never done that before. There are all kinds of reference books on the culture, and you can look to see what was going on in Rome, for example, at a certain time of a reading, or what was happening in Jordan or in Israel in that time period, and that helps you to understand the culture. The fourth C is conclusion, drawing conclusions based on what you've already gone through. So let's say you're in a chapter and you've read the first six verses and you begin to draw some conclusions about what's going on in the scripture. Consultation is the fifth C. It's where you consult other works like commentaries or other translations. So it's a good idea to read from different translations of the Bible. And you can now easily do that on your cell phone and look at different translations. Or you go to the website BibleHub.com and it gives you various interpretations or or commentaries and translations of just each individual verse. Uh, You can go to BibleGateway.com and that gives you different translations of scripture. Or you may have in your home different translations. And that's always good to even get one word translated differently. And that's a big help in interpreting. So first of all, we did observing. Then we have done some interpreting using some outside resources to help us. And then the third step is called application. And application is why we study the Bible. We want our lives to change. We want to be obedient to God and his word and then to grow more like Jesus Christ. 
after we have observed a passage and interpreted or understood it to the very best of our ability, then we want to apply the truth of that scripture to our own life. So here are some questions that help us to to do that. One is, how does truth revealed here affect my relationship with God? That's an important question for us to consider. When I am reading scripture, I want to say, what is this telling me about what is either lacking in my relationship with God or what is present with my relationship with God? That's the first one. Second is, how does this truth affect my relationship with others? What is this telling me about how I need to be in communication with others and in relationship with other people? The first was in relationship to God. Now we have, what does it tell me about my relationship with others? And the third one is, how does this truth affect me? And the final question is, how does this truth affect my response to the enemy, Satan? What does this scripture do for me to help embolden me, to strengthen me in facing the attacks of Satan? So do you see how those are really good questions to get us focused on the application? What it means in my relationship to God, to others, how does it affect me, and what is it my response to Satan supposed to be after reading this? Well, using what we learn and applying it in our lives is transformational. It transforms our lives. Putting into practice what we learn is when we see real change and we see spiritual growth in our lives. I love using these strategies of observing and interpreting and applying scripture. These are the very same strategies I used all the 25 years when I taught students in high school in English classes. I approached teaching literature the very same way of observing what's in there, becoming curious about the passages that we've read, whether it's poetry or whether it's short stories or novels, and then interpreting the meaning, understanding the culture in which it was written. And then I also use the application step with my students. Otherwise, why was I teaching the poems and the short stories and novels if I couldn't help them find meaning in their personal lives? Well, doing this with the Bible is the key to every lesson I teach. I want to make sure we are understanding how this scripture applies to me, to our lives. So we've had the overview of those three simple steps, and I want us to see how it works in our passage for today. So let me show how I used this OIA approach in the chapter three of Acts, I began by reading and making observations and asking questions for each verse. I used a notepad and I wrote my observations and questions for each verse on the pad. So you, I want you to do that in just a minute and I encourage you to press pause on this podcast and give yourself some time to do that. 
So you will begin with verse 1 of chapter 3 in Acts, and you're going to go through verse 11. So on the handout, I skip some lines there after each verse so that you can write your questions and your observations after each verse. And I'm going to get you started on verse 1, and then you can pause the podcast and go through that passage yourself. So for example, Acts 3 verse 1, Peter and John went up to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. So I wrote down these questions. Why did they go up to the temple? And another question, what are Peter and John up to right now, going to the temple? What is their purpose? What, what happens there in the temple? And then I wrote a third question, what is significant about the three o'clock prayer service? And so those are three things that I wanted to know. I became curious about what was meant in that verse by that state, those statements. And so you might have different questions. So now then, I want you to press pause and go through each of the verses and do this very same activity yourself. And then when you come back, we're going to move on to step two, interpretation. So now you are back, and I hope that you enjoyed that process and you came up with some interesting questions and interesting observations. Um, I, I hope you got down to the 10th and 11th verses because we get introduced to something called the Beautiful Gate and Sol- Solomon's Colonnade, and those open up some interesting questions too, like where were they and how did they look and why was it called beautiful and, and uh, why were all the people so astounded and they were rushing to this colonnade and what does that mean? Do you see how the questions begin to sound? So we do move on now to step two, interpretation. So based on the text that you are reading, using the context, you are able to answer just about 75% of the questions that you just wrote down. You can start figuring them out as you continue to read the passage. And so that covers a lot of information. Uh, Because if you do it verse by verse, then you don't know the answer in verse 1 to something that you might read about in verse 3. So you're covering a lot of information as you continue to read. But there will be places where you didn't get an answer. So you're going to go to uh, some of the next steps. You're going to be looking at cross-references. You'll see if this is mentioned in any other passage by looking in the columns of of your Bible. And so you're going to check to read a similar passage to see if you get some answers. Or you begin doing some research about what was going on in the Jewish culture or the Roman culture of the time. So you might need to do a little digging. You could use a reference guide, a study book on culture, or you could do an internet search and, and find what was the Roman culture at the time that the book of Acts was written. Or you could use a commentary, or you could get a study Bible, and it, it does a lot of explanation. Well, that section then requires doing some extra steps to it because you go outside of the scripture to get some meaning. 
So you might decide that you like the observation part, the asking the questions and become curious, but this step of interpreting might feel too daunting to you. And so you're not really interested in doing that. And so you just want to come to class and find out what I have learned. And I will be happy to share that with you. That is okay also. This step is simply for those who want to go deeper independently. But I do this work, I do a lot of research and study, and I immerse myself in scripture. So it's okay if you choose not to do all of that yourself and you want to come and hear what I have discovered. Uh, this, we have a lot of options here, and you can go as deep individually as you want, or you can come to class, and I will be happy to share with you the knowledge that I have gained in reading this. Well, while you don't have uh, much time right now to do all of that digging and going into commentaries, unless you want to press pause and go away and do that and then come back at a later time and finish this podcast, you could certainly do that. But um, I am going to share with you in this next step uh, what I did for interpreting the scripture. So I'm going to go through each of the verses and I'm going to share with you what I've learned. It's called the inductive method. I'm, I'm getting information that I'm, I am learning outside of scripture and it's a verse by verse study of the Bible. So let's begin now with uh, Peter, uh, verse one of chapter three, Peter and John went up to the temple one afternoon. Well, Peter and John were both commissioned by Jesus, and they were recognized very on, early on as apostles. These were special ambassadors of Jesus. Well, the temple was actually uphill, and so that's what it means. They went up to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. Well, the prayer services at the temple were 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. So Peter and John were going to the last hour of prayer for that day. Well, this temple, then they had to climb that temple in the afternoon sun. It was built on top of the Temple Mount and on this plateau on the east side of Jerusalem. It was a slightly higher elevation than the rest of the city. Verse 2, as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. Well, perhaps friends and family took the man to the temple every day, but whoever took them, it was their habit and it was his habit to go every day and be positioned in this strategic location at just the right time so that those going to the temple would see him and perhaps be in a giving mood and they could drop him some coins. Well, the gate of the temple uh, is described there as the beautiful gate. And so I, I became curious about that, this beautiful gate. And, and so I learned that it's, there's been some controversy about which actual gate this was at the temple. The temple was destroyed, so that temple is no longer there. But we have pictures and other evidence of, of what it might have looked like. And so from what I have read, it could be described as the gate of Nicanor. 
and it was made of beautiful and very heavy Corinthian bronze. The historian Josephus gives many interesting particulars about this gate and saying that its workmanship and its value was above all others. It was larger and it weighed more than any other gate. And it led into the temple where someone like the lame man was not allowed to go because the Levitical law at the time said a deformed man could not enter past that gate. So he was on the wrong side of the beautiful gate for a healing. Our lame man was on the wrong side of a beautiful life, wasn't he? He was just outside the gate and he was crippled. He could not walk, he could not work, and he could not worship. Our friend here, the lame man, needed to be healed both physically and spiritually. Well, let's move to verses 3 and 4. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. Looking intently. I had become curious about that. It seems to me to be this moment when Peter realized there was an opportunity. It seems to be that it might have been unusual for this man to have somebody look at him intently. And Peter and John stopped and did that. It seems to me that this is a moment when the Holy Spirit was saying, look at this man. Look intently at this man because this is your divine appointment. This is the time to be the testimony, to be the light for this man. You know, I've taught you to do that. He's, he, Jesus had said to them, I've taught you to be the testimony, to go into all the world and teach and preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now this is a moment to do that. And so they said, look at us. Well, verse 5 says, the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. See, this man was not used to eye contact, I'm sure. And the man was thinking, oh my goodness, I must have hit the financial jackpot. And so he looked up probably pleadingly at the, in the eyes of Peter and John. The next verse, verse 6, says that word, but. So we know it's probably not going to be a financial donation he's getting, but something else. For Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. When Peter and John were not giving him money, we might have heard the lame man complain something like, you don't care about me. You're not supporting me. Look at the mess I'm in. But Peter and John wanted something greater than supporting this man in his physical condition. They wanted to transform his life by the power of the risen Jesus Christ. So Peter gave the order in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now in this case, the word name means authority. Under the authority 
of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Nazareth, that little bitty old town that Jesus came from, at where he, he visited and then left and brushed the dust off the sandals and moved on because they didn't really want anything to do with this little man, this little boy, Jesus from Nazareth. This is important. He says, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus Christ. He wants the man to hear and to know that it was the healing power of Jesus that was going to heal him and not the power of Peter. And then I want us to see that Peter went one step further in verse 7. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. I had been curious about a couple of things there. I'd been curious about the right hand. And I was curious about his ankles and his feet and the uh, instant he was healed. And so what, what is happening here is that Peter extended his right hand and helped him. Often we hear this phrase, uh, extending the right hand of fellowship. And to me, that's, this is a beautiful demonstration of that. Peter extended that right hand and helped him up. What faith it took for Peter to realize that after he gave the command that the power of the Holy Spirit enabled him to help that man to, to be healed and to get up. And then immediately his feet and his bones, his ankles received strength. Strength did not come to this lame man until Peter told him, rise up and walk. And not until Peter took him by the right hand and lifted him up. It's a beautiful image for us, isn't it? That he not only said those words, Peter not only said the words, but he reached down with that right hand and he helped him up so that he could walk freely on both of his legs. And notice what happens in verse 8. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with him, with them. See, as soon as he was healed, this formerly lame man did three things. First, he, he jumped up, didn't he? He jumped up. And he stood and he began to walk. He entered that temple with them. And, then, and he was jumping and he was praising God. He was walking around and he got to worship. He moved from the outside of the temple where the lame and the weak and the weary and the sick and the downhearted were and got his healing, and he went in violating all those rules of the, the uh, Levitical system and said, I am healed, and I am going in. And he went right in there praising God. And notice in verse 9, all the people, all the people, indicating a lot of people were there, saw him walking and heard him praising God. 
So what we see now is that while Peter and John were giving a testimony of faith by healing him in the name of Jesus, now the healed man is a walking testimony, giving praise to God. That is that beautiful connection between those who are a part of a healing process and those who have been healed. Both are testimonies of the work of God. Verse 10 tells us when they realized He was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate. They were absolutely astounded. See, this miracle was witnessed by a lot of people. And imagine the shock as they realized he was the beggar outside the beautiful gate. You know, I don't read here that they were arguing and disagreeing and saying this couldn't have happened and it didn't happen. It didn't say that. It says they were astounded. And look at verse 11, what it says they did. They, what's that next word? All, all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. See, they all gathered, all ran into the salt to Solomon's colonnade. It's called Solomon's porch, which is just inside that door, that porch. They were amazed as they gathered there. And some, I'm sure, were there out of curiosity. They had heard about it. They had witnessed it, and they wanted to see. They wanted to follow this through. Uh, They were there to hear Peter and John preach about it because that's getting ready to happen. We're going to find out about that next week, how they use this healing as an opportunity to preach and teach about Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, they were witnesses to the healing power of God because Peter was fulfilling his commission to tell the good news to the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, what does this mean for us? How do I apply this to my own life? You see, that lame man was sitting just outside of the beautiful gate in need of healing. He needed to be healed both physically and spiritually. And he was just outside of the place where he could find healing. He needed someone to introduce him to the healer. You know, this crippled man represents all of us. We all are or have been crippled by something. We've all been at some point outside that beautiful gate, outside the place of healing and wholeness. Think about what has you just outside the beautiful gate. See, often we're we're like this, this lame man in need of a healing. Maybe our healing is not physical, but there are other other emotional or spiritual or mental areas of healing that we might need just outside the beautiful gate. Is there something that has you waiting outside the gate in fear, in shame, in intimidation, in anger, or perhaps insecurity? Are you just outside that beautiful place of worship because you're living in criticism or doubt or pity or pride? 
Are you outside the gate afraid to become too involved? That would be too much of a commitment. Or are you afraid that you might become too vulnerable and people might really see you? Are there problems with children or spouses or family members that are leaving you sad or forlorn or frozen? Are you experiencing an emotional pothole and you just need somebody to help you get out of it? Are you waiting for someone to give you encouragement, someone to take your hand and lift you up? Do you need the right hand of Christian fellowship from somebody? Well, sometimes we are the ones needed to help someone just outside the beautiful gate. We're the ones who are needed to inspire somebody else. Sometimes we're the one who can reach out a right hand, a hand of invitation, a hand of strength, a hand of comfort, a hand that's shaken in, in respect of someone or in recognition or acknowledgement of someone, an indication that someone has been seen and heard. You know, on any given day, we are either in need of a hand up or needed to give a hand up. If we're not in need of healing, we're needed to offer a right hand of Christian fellowship in our daily routines, just as Peter and John were going about their daily routine of visiting the temple. You know, my daily prayer includes this, help me to be open to the giving and receiving of your blessings today. See, in every situation, every day, I'm either receiving a hand or offering a hand. I need to be on the lookout for those, don't I? It's so fun to live in a way that opens up the channel for the Holy Spirit to lead me to my own divine appointments. I need to be tuned into that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Some of you know one of our Wow, sisters, and her name is Laurie Dinsky-Snyman. She shared a story on Facebook recently that demonstrates being tuned in to the Holy Spirit while just living the routine of life, and she gave me permission to share this. She said, our church is having a family night, and with our move to Tennessee, the game closet is empty. I found a game on Facebook Marketplace. I drove to an apartment in a suburb of Chattanooga to meet up. She was waiting in the parking lot when I got there. I handed her the money, and she sort of hesitated, uh, giving me the game. I said, are you kind of attached to this game? She replied, I have had so much playing it with friends, but since I left the military, there isn't anyone to play with anymore. I said, it is an adjustment going from being with lots of people to going back to real life, no doubt. I'm getting this game for my church where we are going to play it for game night, and I'd be privileged if you would come. She looked at me and said, that's really nice. I'm not sure what I'm doing this weekend. Well, I said, I'm not a stalker, but if you allow me to have your phone number, I will text you about the date and time. And if you can't do it this time, maybe you'll do it another time. We have another one planned in November. 
She continued to tell me about recently moving to Chattanooga from the East Coast. She is adjusting to living in a new place. I also told her I would love to have her over to our house sometime. She was open. She gave me her phone number and her name and asked for mine. And she closes this Facebook post by saying, Please pray for Erica, whose name I've changed for privacy. Well, that was the post of a a couple of weeks ago, but Laurie gave me the update yesterday. And here's what she said. The young lady did come to our game night at our church. She had been so scared when I talked to her that first time, but she was comfortable around everyone and made many new friends who promised to pray for her interview and with a new job since she had just gotten out of the National Guard. She has been texting me every day and says that it has been a long time since she was in church and she knows she has some spiritual work to do. She also told me she went to a leadership class but said that if you hang out with people who are doing things you don't like or don't agree with, you become more like them. She said to me when she was leaving in the parking lot, I need to hang out with people like you because it challenges me to be a better person. I was amazed, very thankful to have met her, and she has given me permission to stay in touch with her. It's a great story of how God leads us to people. You know, Lori had a divine appointment that day. Lori could have been very busy and very distracted. She could have ignored the prompting of the Holy Spirit when she looked into the eyes of this woman very intently. She could have overlooked the woman's hesitation. She could have possibly not offered for the young woman to come to game night. But Lori listened to the prompting of the Holy Spirit because he had a divine appointment for her. Lori extended the right hand of God's love to this woman. Jesus has left his church He has left his church work for us to do in this world today. There are people left out of the kingdom. There are people injured and hurt by those in the church and out of the church. There are men and women who are lame and abandoned by the world, sitting just outside the beautiful gate. And we are the ones who walk by the beautiful gate every single day. The Holy Spirit has arranged divine appointments for each of us. We want to recognize them and extend the right hand of Christian fellowship as we answer the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the inspirational story of Peter and John and how they were intent on following your command to go into all the world and teach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were on the way in their routine of daily life, and they stopped, they pressed pause, and they did the kingdom work. Help us to be inspired by this. Help us each day as we go out to be tuned in to your prompting and to answer your call. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.